All right. Uh, many years ago, a uh, very famous Harvard professor, a professor of philosophy, uh, George Santana, was teaching his class. And at the opening of his class, this is the comment he made. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat the past. I love that. Listen to it again. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat the past. And really, that's what we're going to see tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses a history lesson about Israel to give the church both an example from the past, but also a warning for the future. So 1 Corinthians 10, uh, it really is, it's, it's a history lesson, but it's a history lesson with a purpose. He's using the nation of Israel as an example for the church, and he's also using the things that they've gone through as a warning for the church. And so I love what Paul is going to show us tonight uh, in his words as he uh, loves this church. If you'll remember, when we started this passage of Scripture, when we started 1 Corinthians, Paul loves this church. He is a spiritual father to this church. And so he's concerned about all of the challenges they face. And if you'll remember, the challenges that they face, really all the ones that we've you know, dealt with so far, a lot of them have been internal. They've been internal challenges, internal problems, uh, a few external problems here and there. And, and so, uh, you know, recently we talked about idolatry. We talked about immorality. That's going to come up again tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, except he's going to be doing it looking backwards. He's going to be looking back at Israel and saying, don't you remember what happened with Israel? And if you remember what happened with Israel, then be warned about what could happen to us uh, as a church. And so I think this message is relevant for us today as well. Uh, It's not just relevant for the church in Corinth. When Paul was writing, I think it's relevant for Start Baptist Church and, and really any church today. So let's dig in, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I'm going to read uh, a lengthy passage here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 uh, because these, these first 13 verses really uh, go together. So there's no way to break it up. So bear with me, read with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples. There it is. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, 
Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Uh, These are incredible verses of Scripture. This is an incredible passage. Uh, I know that maybe you have quoted some of these Scriptures before. uh, But Paul, what he's doing, again, let's remember, he's talking to the church at Corinth. They have been dealing with many challenges. Let's think about some of the challenges they've dealt with. Divisions, right? Uh, Dependency. They were dependent upon themselves rather than dependent upon Christ. Those divisions, you you had some that followed Paul and some that followed Cephas and some that followed Christ. And and then they dealt with immorality. Uh, Sexual immorality was a major problem uh, in Corinth. If you'll remember, uh, they had temple prostitutes everywhere. So many different gods and so many different different temples. And at these different temples, they had these what they call temple prostitutes. And so sexual immorality was a challenge. Idolatry was a challenge. And eating the food of idols was a challenge. And we're going to see that tonight. So what Paul is really doing, when you read this passage of Scripture and you look at it in context, that means everything he's written before and everything he's going to continue to write. Paul, really, what he's doing here, he's encouraging the church to serve the Lord together. He's encouraging the church to serve the Lord together. If you'll notice, look at how many times Paul uses the word all in those first five or six verses. He says, you all, you all, you all. He keeps saying that, you all. Uh, And in the Old Testament reference, Paul emphasizes the fact that all of the Israelites experienced God. They experienced the blessings of God, His deliverance, His guidance, and His provisions. Uh, When Paul says, uh, all of you have been baptized into Moses, I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. Listen to this. Dr. Jeremiah says, this means that the people of Israel were identified with Moses through the Red Sea experience, just as Christians today are identified with Christ through baptism. And so what Paul was saying was, hey, listen, you all experienced this. You all experienced this together. You were all identified with Moses, the Israelites. They were identified with Moses. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, as a church, you all identify with each other. You're, you're all identified in Christ through baptism. And so the Israelites, he talks about the Israelites eating the spiritual food and drinking the same spiritual drink. This was actually a reference to the manna that God provided in the wilderness. Uh, It was a reference to the rocks that God used to provide water uh, to the Israelites. And as Paul says here, you know, when it was more than just physical food and physical water, it was spiritual food and it was spiritual drink. And he even says that rock is Christ himself. Uh, Many theologians say that this was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ uh, in Exodus when they were coming through, coming out of Egypt and coming into the wilderness and getting close to the promised land. Uh, That was the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, that rock that provides. And so much like the Israelites were joined together, you know, Paul says, hey, Corinthians, hey, church, you are joined together because you are in Christ. You have been baptized into the same Spirit, baptized by the same Spirit. Uh, And as we see 
from the example of Israel in the Old Testament, God was not pleased with Israel, was he? You think about it. Go back and look at what happened in Exodus. Uh, Look at how many times, right, the Israelites grumbled and how many times the Israelites complained and how many times the Israelites turned to idolatry. They did it over and over again. And, and, And Paul reminds the church that, hey, listen, God was not pleased with them. God was not pleased with them. I love Dr. Tony Evans. Listen to what he says. He says, being recipients of God's kindness is not a guarantee of avoiding his discipline. Think about that. Being recipients of God's kindness is not a guarantee of avoiding his discipline. Why do we have to be disciplined? You tell me, what happens? Mamas and daddies, why do you discipline your children? Because they disobey. <laughs> yeah, like Mike said, they're bad. Yeah, they're just bad. Yeah. Uh, that, that grandkids too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I love this. Dr. Tony Evans is right. You know, we, we can experience God's goodness and God's blessings, but if we don't receive them correctly, and if we don't walk in obedience to God's commands, when we get out of line, when we begin to disobey, when we get, begin to turn from God... Uh, as his children, he loves us too much to just let us go. He's going to discipline us. And Paul says he disciplined the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, Paul gives examples from Israel's past, right? That's what he does. He gives specific examples from Israel's past, and he warns the church about four things. Number one, idolatry. He says, do not be idolaters. And so idolatry is one of the warnings. Immorality. Sexual immorality. Paul is very specific about that. Testing the Lord. You tested the Lord in the wilderness. And he goes on and he talks about grumbling, right? Now we know full well what that means because we're really good at it, aren't we? I think we have a master's degree. Maybe some of us have a PhD in it. Yeah. Grumbling against the Lord and his people. I'm going to tell you, one of the best ways, one of the best ways our church can turn unbelievers around and get them going the other way is to come in and see us grumbling and complaining against each other. I'm just telling you. They get enough of that in the world. They don't need to see Christ followers grumbling and complaining and arguing against one another. What they need to see is Christ followers walking in unity. Does it mean we're going to always agree? Absolutely not. We're not going to always agree. You like this color? I like that color. You know, you like cheese, I don't. You know, we can, we can go on and on. It's okay to disagree, but it is never okay to be disagreeable. I think I've said that a hundred times already in these first ten chapters, and that's what Paul is talking about. And so when the people take their eyes off of the Lord, when they take their eyes off of His goodness and His blessings, that's when they set their hearts on evil things. That's when they set their hearts on the ways of the world and the things of the world. And I'm going to tell you, you suffer the consequences of your actions. You suffer the consequences of your choices. And this is what we see in the example of the uh, Israelites in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, uh, I wasn't going to do this, but if you want to write, it's not going to be on the screen. Um, I went back and added a note in my notes. And if you want to add it to yours, you can. I want to remind you of what Numbers chapter 14 verses 20 through 25 says. The Lord forgave his people. He forgave his people because Moses begged him to. 
Moses said, Lord, forgive your people. Forgive your people for their disobedience. Forgive your people for their rebellion. And God did forgive them. But listen to what God said. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And you know as well as I do, out of all of those people, when they got right there, right there on the edge of the promised land, two men crossed over. Do you remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. And if you go back and look at the Scripture, it's because their hearts, were they were set on the Lord. They were wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Those two men were the only ones of that generation that walked into the promised land. God says, do not test me. And I find that very interesting in Numbers. He didn't just say they tested me. He numbered it. He said they tested me ten times. Ten times. And so he says, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so Paul knows this history. And he's teaching this history to the young church, to these Corinthians. Now, some of these Corinthians are Jews, but many of these Corinthians are Greeks. They're Gentiles, even, even some Romans. And so Paul is giving them a history lesson, right? He's teaching them, hey, listen, don't forget about God's chosen people, Israel, and look at the things they did. Look at the mistakes they made and look at the consequences of their actions. And so Paul, he goes on as he finishes up right here in verses you know, 11 and 12 and 13. Paul, again, encourages the church to be careful. Be careful and rely on God's faithfulness in Christ. He talks about temptations, right? He says the temptations that you are facing were common to all mankind. But God, right? God's faithfulness to you and God's faithfulness in you He will never let you be tempted in such a way that you can't, you can't get out. He will always make a way out. But again, you know as well as I do, when I'm tempted, I choose, right? I choose to embrace and accept the way the Lord gives me or I choose the other way, my way. And so there are consequences for choices. And Paul says, be careful. And he's talking to Christ followers. He's talking to believers. Be careful. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your own experience. Rely on God. Rely on God's faithfulness that is found in Christ. Uh, Now, I'm not going to read every verse because this is a lengthy chapter, but I do want to talk about this middle portion, uh, verses 14 through 22, uh, because we're actually going to be looking at this a little later on. Uh, in, in uh, Corinthians, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of talk briefly about it tonight and move forward, but basically what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22, is Paul calls on the church to flee idolatry and to flee the idol feasts as well, and if you'll remember, back in chapter 9, we talked about um, you know those idol feasts and eating the, the meat right that was sacrificed uh, to idols. 
uh, there was evidence, okay? So Paul had evidence in letters that were sent to him. There was evidence of carelessness when it came to partaking the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. Uh, And we will see that, like I said, we'll see that a little more uh, later in the letter. But there was evidence uh, of mixing the Lord's table with the table of demons. In other words, um, when you look at when you look at the book of Corinthians, when we look at the whole book, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to look at chapter 12 and more, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but the Lord's table was important. It mattered. Like, I'm talking about the table that they laid the food on to take communion on. Uh, it was important. And so what was happening was they were mixing traditions. They were saying, oh, this is good stuff, the Lord's Supper, Lord's Communion. But they were also bringing in tables of idols, and so they were mixing the elements. That's what was happening, okay? And, and so Paul says you can't do that. Time and time again, new believers were being pulled, and they were being tempted to return to those old traditions, those old idol feasts is what Paul calls them. And so Paul, what he does is he points to the cup, and he points to the bread of communion, And we know, and Paul explains it here, that that represents Jesus' blood and his flesh that was given for us. So Paul very quickly says, hey, listen, let's focus on the Lord's table and let's focus on the elements of communion, the cup and the bread. The cup is the blood of Christ. The bread is the body of Christ that was given for us. And so Paul wants these new believers, these young believers, to know who they are in Christ and whose they are in Christ. Matter of fact, I love this. In verse 21, I'll read that one to you. Paul says in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. And so Paul makes it very clear. Listen, you are new creatures in Christ. The old life, the old way is gone. You can't keep reaching back over here in these idol feasts and these idol tables, and come over here to Christ's table and take his cup and take his bread and think that it works. It doesn't work like that. Paul says you can't do both. And so then he goes on, and he says this in verse 23. I love this, uh, because we're getting back to those freedoms. You remember us talking about freedoms and rights and how to exercise freedoms and how to exercise rights uh, as with a godly perspective? Listen to this, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if you'll remember, Paul was saying... We have this knowledge as believers that these idols are not real. And and, and this food that has been sacrificed to idols, there's nothing wrong with this food. You remember that conversation? If you were here with me, all you got to do is go back and look. Uh, He had this conversation. But what he said was, you have to be careful just because you have that freedom to eat that food. What if it causes your brother or sister who doesn't know better to stumble and fall? Paul says now... You need to refrain. Now you need to abstain from doing that. And so he's using that same thing here. Look at verse 27. If an unbeliever 
invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And i got to throw in chapter 11, verse 1, because technically it goes with this passage. He says to them, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I want to go back to the very beginning. Paul was encouraging the church to do what? Serve the Lord together. And so he's saying, listen, I know you're an individual, but we are individuals that belong to a body. And so he wants them to think, yes, as individuals, but he also wants them to think collectively as a body. And what Paul makes very clear right here at the very beginning, and he's already made this clear in chapter 9, believers experience freedom in Christ. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the bondage of sin. Uh, listen, there were a lot of Jews in this day who were living according to the law. They depended upon the law to make them right with God, to, to save them. And Paul says, no, the law can't do that. Only Christ can do that. And so there were many Jews who were even set free from believing that it was the law that saved them. So Paul says, hey, as believers, we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Uh, Jesus has done this. But he says, okay, as such, in other words, even though we have this freedom, as such, the things that are permissible will not always be beneficial or constructive for the believer or for the entire body of Christ. So think about that for a moment, right? Just because it is permissible does not mean that it's beneficial or constructive for you or for those who are with you, the body. And so again, Paul gives an example of eating. Even though eating the meat, right, that was sold in the market, that had been taken from idol feasts, even though it was acceptable, what did Paul do? Paul abstained. He abstained. You go back and look at it in, in chapter 9. He said, nope, not going to do it. He, he forfeited that right. Why? Because he did not believe it was beneficial. He wasn't thinking of himself. Who was he thinking of? The others. And, and I'm talking about the church and unbelievers because Paul makes it very clear if it's an unbeliever that invites you to the home. So he's talking to believers and unbelievers. The people could eat the meat from the market, right? But if a host mentioned, if a host or someone at that, that, that gathering mentioned that it was sacrificed to idols, Paul said, don't eat it. Don't eat it, right? He, he said, don't do it. Abstain. 
rather than to lead your host astray, rather than to lead your table or those around you or the body astray. Um, This was both, like I said, about young believers in Christ. Uh, It was about unbelievers. And basically Paul is saying we don't want to be a stumbling block, right? We don't want to be a stumbling block uh, for young believers. We don't want to be a stumbling block for those who may accept Christ, right? Who may accept Christ according to our example. And so Paul, his goal is, is, is really every letter, but in, in this letter to the church at Corinth, Paul points to the goals, two goals. Number one, glorifying God with our actions. He says, glorify God with all that you do and loving others, seeking out their edification. So glorifying God, loving others. Those are the goals that Paul clearly has in front of him as he talks to the church about these challenges they're facing. I'm telling you, idolatry was a huge issue with this church. Uh, yes, immorality, yes, divisions, all of those things, but, but idolatry was huge. And you got to remember, it was the culture. Corinth was a melting pot. There were people from all over coming through Corinth. Uh, it was a very wealthy community. Uh, it, it was a very uh, easy community to travel through. And so all of these people coming together, and Paul understood that, okay? But with that being said, all of these people were bringing their idols that they had served, right? And they were setting up temples. And so idolatry was a real issue in Corinth. And Paul is pointing them to Jesus Christ. He's, he's saying, do not be idolaters. Don't live that way. Don't, don't sacrifice like that. Uh, we serve God. And, and this has been his message, really, for the past several chapters. Uh, Paul says when we're exercising our freedoms, when we're exercising our rights, we do so with a godly perspective, with a kingdom perspective. What we want to do when we exercise the freedom we have in Christ, we want to glorify God with it. It's not about glorifying us, right? It's not about making our name known. It's about making His name known. Glorifying God. Paul says how do we do that? We do that by taking care of others, right? Meeting the needs of others, thinking about others instead of thinking about ourselves. And I believe today, more than anything, right, um, we have a problem with idolatry today, don't we? I think it's just as real today as it was then. Now, we may not have these buildings set up in these temples, and we may not be going and putting a slab of meat, you know, in front of this little, you know, golden image, but I'm going to tell you, we got idols. We got idols. I'm going to tell you what, children, children can become idols for mamas and daddies. Jobs, right? Our jobs can become idols. We can work, 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 work. Be the best worker we can. Work, 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 right? Our bank accounts can become idols. What else? You tell me, what else can become an idol? What else is an idol? Sports, absolutely. Oh, you didn't have to say nothing. You just show it to me. Cell phones, right? Yeah, computers. I'm going to tell you what, education. Education can become an idol. I love education. Look, I've been to school more than I want to be, you know, known for going to school. And I'm tempted to go back and get some more. I just like it. I love, I love studying. Uh, I love tests. I, I, I know I'm funny like that. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, you can get so caught up in it and you can get so, so caught up in knowledge, knowledge, knowledge that it becomes an idol, right? It's all about the purpose and the intent. What am I doing 
with these things, right, that, that surround me, these things that, that I place value on. What am I doing with them? And so Paul, his message is very clear. He just wants others to see Christ in him. He wants others to see Christ in him. And that's the example he, he encourages others to follow. Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Paul didn't say, be like Paul, love like Paul, live like Paul. Paul says, follow my example because I love Christ. Love like Christ. Live like Christ. Paul wasn't up there on a pedestal waving, you know, like he just won the, you know, the New York Marathon. He, no, he was just, he was in a humble way saying, listen, I love the Lord. My focus is on the Lord. Live like that. Love the Lord. Focus on the Lord. I want to be like Christ. So follow my example and be like Christ. It's not be like me. Be like Christ. His focus was always on Christ. And I believe that should be our goal today. You know, when I read this passage of Scripture, again, we're going to encounter a lot of things um, in 1 Corinthians, even in 2 Corinthians, where you might say, man, this is Old Testament stuff. This is law stuff. And this is things that we don't deal with. Um, you're right, there's some things in here that we don't deal with. But there, there are some things in here that the heart of it is the same. The heart of it is the same. Um, and I was challenged. I was challenged. The question I wrote down was, what idols, what idols have I bowed down to? That's the question I asked myself. What idols have I bowed down to today? Just Just today. What idols have I bowed down to? I, I mean, I, I don't even want to answer that question. Because I, two right now, I just thought of two right now. Just standing here. I thought of two right off the bat that I know today I have bowed down to those idols. Our goal should be Paul's goal. And that is glorify God and love others. Point them to Christ. Be like Christ. We should glorify God in everything we say, in everything we do. We should point others to Christ. We should show them the love of Christ always. We should exercise, right, that freedom. I can't get away from chapter 9. I, I love, <laughs> I fell in love with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We, we've got to understand that the freedoms we have, right, the freedoms we have, they're given to us in Christ, and so we have to have a godly perspective with them. If the freedoms we have and the freedoms we enjoy are about us, we will not lead others to Christ. We will not show them the love of Christ. It's, it's got to be with a godly perspective, a kingdom perspective. Uh, we should exercise freedom in Christ in such a way that when people see us, they see Jesus. When, when people say, what kind of love is that? We can say, that's the love of God. That's the love of God. And that's what our world needs more of today. We, we, we need to be a people that, that, that loves, right? Loves God, yes, first and foremost. Loves each other, absolutely. But we need to love the people out there that are broken and the people that are hurting. Listen, we need to, we need to love the rebels, the ones who are rebelling against God. We need to love them, okay? Yes, I want to tell them the truth. And yes, I want them to know the truth. But I'm going to tell you something. You got to love them first before they'll listen to you. You hear me? You got to love them first before they'll ever listen to you. They're not going to listen to you if you don't love them. You got to love them. 
Now, that doesn't mean you condone their actions. That doesn't mean you condone their lifestyles. But you've got to come to them with open hands and say, you know what, I, I want to help you. I just want to be here for you. I want to love you. And when they say, why, you can say, because that's what my God does to me. He, he loves me for who I am. He loves me as I am. Right? I love, again, Paul's words in Romans. When Paul says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. You say it with me. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we got it all together. You want to know why? Because he would have never died. If, if he was waiting for you or me or anybody on this planet to get it all together, he would have never died. No, while we were sinners, he died for us. So how dare me look down on somebody, right? Because they're an atheist. How dare me look down on somebody uh, because they're embolded in sexual immorality? How dare me look down on somebody because they're doing things that I know go against God's commands and God's word? How dare me ever look down on anybody? And how dare me ever be judgmental towards anybody? Right? What I need to do is I need to love people right where they are. Get right in there with them. Love them. Love them, love them, love them. I didn't say condone them. I didn't say act like them and live like them. I said love them. Love them and then show them. Show them a better life, a better love, a better way. That's what we need to be as a church. We need to open up our our arms and embrace people. Love them and then tell them the truth because it's the truth that sets them free. Not you, not me. It's the truth that sets them free. Plant that seed. Plant that gospel seed. Glorify God. Everything you do. Point others to Christ. If you want to be be an example, be an example of Christ. Right? Show grace, show mercy, show love. Let the little children come to you. Right? Man, I'm going to get back in Mark chapter 10 if I don't be careful.